I expected we would definitely pick up some wins. Good lord, was I wrong. They average more people for every single game than we've had to show up the entire season. I don't want to uh, go in depth on the, the all vandals topic of hey, should Don really be fired? That's, again, that's LeBron James level from LeBron James in the big sky. Welcome to Tubs at the Club, the official, unofficial podcast of your University of Idaho Vandals. You can download Tubs at the Club on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and tubsattheclub.com. I'm your host, Brian, and on today's episode, we'll do a post-mortem on the University of Idaho's losses on the road at Montana and Montana State, preview upcoming games against Northern Colorado in Moscow on Thursday, and Eastern Washington in Cheney on Monday. But first... We have some Big Sky football news to address, starting with reporting from our very own Lewiston Tribute friend of Tubbs at the Club, reporter Colton Clark. On February 8th, Colton tweeted news from interviews with University of Idaho coaches. He condensed all the interviews with a specific, with a specific position coaches and some notes from head coach Paul Petrino. That's the news I care about. Paul Petrino, according to the notes posted from Colton Clark, claimed that all three quarterbacks, that is senior Mason Petrino, junior Colton Richardson, and redshirt freshman Kel Nair, are being prepped through what will be spring ball as though they will all be competing for a starting position. Now, the reason Paul Petrino cited as treating all three as though they they are going to be starters was the injury issues that about half the league in the Big Sky last year dealt with at quarterback. Um, not in chronological order, but throughout the year, Eastern Washington, Montana State, Northern Colorado, Northern Arizona, Southern Utah, Sacramento State, and Idaho. Remember, Colton Richardson missed a good amount of time due to a handful of injuries. All those teams had quarterback injuries to one degree or another. Eastern Washington lost a preseason Walter Payton Award nominee. Uh, Montana State had to radically readjust their offense uh, when their starting quarterback went down and Troy Anderson was converted from linebacker to quarterback. And by the way, some side news out of Montana State, Troy Anderson is back to being a linebacker there, which is big news for Bozeman. It's also big news for Montana State defense. Uh, Troy Anderson is kind of the wonder boy of the big sky in terms of him being an, just an incredible athlete, probably the best NFL-level prospect at any position in the conference right now. You know, he was good enough to be a – he was a, a mobile quarterback. He ran significantly better than he passed. But he helped lead Montana State to the, the second round of the playoffs. He was a first-team all-Big Sky player, although it's, it's pretty well understood that Troy Anderson made the first team more for just the incredible contribution he gave, not because he's a great quarterback. Uh, he's not close to even a top half of the league quarterback. If When we say quarterback, we mean passing. But anyway – Side news, Troy Anderson, he's back. He's a linebacker again in Montana State. So Montana State, A, should be able to throw the ball next year. B, they may not run quite as much as they did, which, I mean, that could be helpful for them. We'll see. Um, and C, they now have the best professional prospect in the lead at linebacker. So that is both good news for Montana State and, I guess, bad news for the rest of the league. Circling back to the initial point, about half the league had quarterback injuries last year. And that's the reason Coach Petrino cited prepping all three as though they will be starters. Uh, the thing 
I think we should read into this. So really, there's a couple couple items. First, no one really knows exactly what it means to prep all three as though they're going to be starters. Coach Petrino knows. But as a fan, unless you are showing up and taking notes on all those practices, I know that I have no idea what it means to say, hey, we have three guys we're going to treat as other starters. Well, it, it's not like they tripled the length of each practice so that every single wide receiver gets the same number of reps. It, it just means that there, there is a different split of how many people theoretically are going to work with the theoretical first string. Um, I don't really know what that translates to because it, it really sounds to me more like a non-committal answer. Um, for some people, it, it's not a secret that there's a, there's a decent amount of fan dissatis dissatisfaction, or we could say one of the touchstone issues in Vandal football last year was the quarterback position. Uh, so there's probably going to be a lot of people who hear, A, uh, maybe that's good news that we don't have a firm commitment to who our starter would be. Now, just based off of reps last year, Mason Petrino sounds like the presumptive starter, but we'll see because his, his father, the coach, was not commit, committal about who is going to be the understood first string quarterback at this point. So it's not exactly what I call a ringing endorsement of Mason Petrino year two as our starting quarterback, uh, but it is also, it needs to be understood, that's not a specified demotion. Um, it more or less sounds similar to what the tone was last year where we had a theoretical split. I say theoretical split because it certainly wasn't close to 50-50 in terms of reps. Mason had uh, significantly more reps than Colton. Now, a lot of that later in the year had to do to a combination of Colton having some injury issues that made, made him not even dress for games or not travel for games. And outside of a real strong showing, when in the only Big Sky game that Colton Richardson received extended play. In the spot play Colton Richardson had after Idaho State, he did struggle. Um, I don't want to do a postmortem on the football season from a year ago because it's over. We all know it's disappointing. We all know we won four games. Uh, we should all remember that we didn't have a single bad loss throughout the football season. We had a handful of ugly losses, but we only lost to FBS teams that made good bowl games. Fresno State won the Mountain West. Florida, I don't know if they made a BCS game or not, but Florida was was good. They beat Michigan in their bowl game. We lost to Montana State on the road. Montana State made the second round of the playoffs. We lost to UC Davis on the road. UC Davis made the final eight of the FCS playoffs. We lost to Eastern Washington on the road. Eastern Washington finished in second place. Uh, you know, we lost to Idaho State and Montana. Both those teams played themselves out of the playoffs, losing their final game of the season. Now, had Montana won their final game of the season, then Montana State would not have made the playoffs. So there isn't really a world where we can completely invert some of those games and round further up the quality of losses that we had. And no one should be ecstatic about a four-win season, which is why I don't want to go too much into the weeds about the number of snaps and the uh, the overall quality of play from one quarterback compared to the other. It is just news for us to pay attention to that our coach has not given a clear endorsement of who the starter is going to be, which by the way, that is different from a lot of programs in the league. There is no question at Eastern Washington, Eric Berrier is going to be the starting quarterback. There's no question at UC Davis that Jake Meyer is going to be the starting quarterback. There's no question at University of Montana that Dalton Sneed is going to be the starting quarterback. It is potential news 
that a non-committal answer will be given. Now, if you are a person who had a negative experience with watching our quarterback play, then there's a good chance you're going to hear that and say, okay, well, this sounds like he's just trying to, coach is trying to just push the this further down the road, just trying to not get people upset early. We know what what's going to happen. And hey, you know what? It's on the table that Mason could be back um, as our quarterback for next season. I think there are real reasons to be concerned. Last season, we did not score more than 31 points against an FCS or FBS team. And against Big Sky teams, if you do not have an elite defense, 31 points is simply not going to win you very many games. And we do not have an elite defense, or we did not have an elite defense. We'll see what the recruitment class looks like. We'll see what growth from some of our younger players looks like. Uh, But there are some real questions fans could or should have about what the offense is going to look like. And for better or for worse, at the quarterback position, those questions remain unanswered. More football news. This out of Pocatello, um, head coach for Idaho State, Rob Fennessy, for those who are not aware, was investigated by the university, or Idaho State University, due to, I believe, what turned into an actual police investigation over the allegation that he hammer-punched one of his players last season multiple times hard enough to leave bruising beneath the pat, his, his football pad. Uh, it was serious enough that the, the cliff notes of what the player said is fantasy g- gave the guy a hammer punch on the shoulder, uh, which is a relatively common move for motivational purposes for football coaches. It's not a secret that in the world of football, that's a little bit more hands-on um, in terms of coaches responding to players than the world of other sports, partially because there is padding. You can give a little bit more force when you touch a person's shoulders. Now, I'm not advocating for punching people in the shoulders. But the investigation to Rob Fennessy uh, from the university came up, uh, came to the conclusion that Coach Fennessy did not do anything wrong in terms of negligence or in terms of uh, violating his contract or in terms of violating the understood safety um, and environment of his player. So in short, Rob Fennessy is definitely going to be back. Not that there were rumors he was going to be fired, but anytime there's an investigation from a university and there is investigation from law enforcement, by the way, part of what made this odd is the alleged incident took place at Cal Poly. Idaho State lost their last two games of the football season, played themselves out of the playoffs. Uh, but part of why it was odd is because the police investigation component was being run through California. Uh, but in short, it looks like the overall news is that there isn't really news. So Rob Fennessy was cleared. He will definitely be back. And the final bit of Big Sky football news. This just broke, I believe, on February 9th, and I believe it came from former University of Idaho alum Theo Lawson, who is the beat reporter for the Washington State uh, football team for Spokes Interview. Former Eastern Washington quarterback Gage Gubrud, the guy who I talked about earlier, who is the preseason Walter Payton, that's the FCS Player of the Year uh, award, the FCS equivalent of of a Heisman Trophy. Gage Gubrud was granted a six-year of eligibility due to a medical hardship waiver, and he is going to finish his football career at Washington State. Now, the general story of what happened with Gage Gubrud, 
is in the fifth game of the season, he went down with what turned out to be a severe version of turf toe. Gage ended up having to shut down, shut it down for the season, had to have surgery so that he could recuperate and rehabilitate and take part in a, a pro day at Eastern Washington later on so that he could prep for the NFL draft. And in the Porsche, in the span of Gage going through the rehabilitation process, Eastern Washington kept winning. They lost two total games with their backup, who was a sophomore, Eric Verrier, playing. They lost at Weber State in probably Eric Verrier's worst game of the season. And then they lost the national championship to North Dakota State. Eric Verrier is definitely going to be a likely preseason player of the year candidate. Uh, to me, he there's a good chance he'll be the best quarterback in the league, even though Jake Meyer from UC Davis was player of the year for football. Uh, so Eastern Washington, they keep humming on. But the good, the reason this worked out for Gage Guru, the medical hardship waiver requires a player to miss two-thirds of his team's season to be eligible for that extra year of eligibility. Gubrud went down in game five. If Eastern had not made the championship, his, his college football career would have been over. But Eastern made the championship, gave Eastern a 15th game. Well, Gage played in five games, sat out 10. That's two-thirds of the season. Initially, his transfer or his eligibility was shot down to the NCAA, but on February 9th, it was reported. Gage Gubrud will be playing football for Washington State. There is no news yet on whether he has any sort of leg up on the quarterback competition. Because remember, another grad transfer, uh, Gardner Minshew from Washington State, he graduated. So there's a vacancy at that position. Gage will join two other seniors as well as a redshirt freshman in that quarterback competition. I know from the Big Sky perspective, I'm hoping Gubrud does pretty well. I, I, I really hope he wins that starting job. He is the third that I'm aware of recent Big Sky transfer to a Pac-12 school. First, we had Vernon Adams from Eastern Washington, who did quite well, except for missing a few games due to injury. There's a good chance Eastern would have been playing in the college football playoff had Vernon Adams not missed a couple games due to injury, including an injury in the first game of the season where they lost close one to Michigan State. Uh, but anyway, that grad transfer went great. At, at Oregon. There's another grad transfer, Dakota Prukup from Montana State. That was on a, a down year for Oregon, and it's not that Prukup played poorly, but he didn't play at what you'd call an all-league level. He ended up getting benched towards the end of the season, but that had more to do, except it looks like, with the coach who was ultimately fired and replaced by Willie Taggart. Uh, Willie Taggart's now Florida State. But it looked like it was a little bit more the coach trying to save his job than you know, Dakota Prukup being proving he's not a Pac-12 quarterback because Dakota Prukup did okay. Um, also, we have our own Jake Luton, who is playing at Oregon State. Now, Oregon State's not a top Pac-12 team, but Jake Luton was Pac-12 player of the week, I believe, once last season. I, I don't have his stats in front of me, and I really did not research Jake Luton. But that's a, that actually makes four, if you consider Idaho – Big Sky. We are Big Sky, but at the time of Jake Luton's transfer, we were not yet Big Sky. He played last year during our first Big Sky season, which meant he had to sit out a year, so he would have transferred while we were still Sunbelt. So that's a that's four Big Sky transfers. We wish the best for Gage. You know, Gage is a dual threat quarterback. He was a walk on at Eastern Washington who he took over for Vernon Adams. 
uh, playing in his sophomore year. There, there's reason to believe that Gage could could do quite well. He was the quarterback for Eastern when Eastern went to Pullman and beat Washington State a few years ago. So we're going to see how that goes. We wish him the best of luck. And that is a wrap on the football news that we have. And we're going to transition to talking about Big Sky basketball. Big Sky basketball does not look good for if you're a University of Idaho fan. We sit at 1-11 and 11 in conference. The next closest teams to us are Portland State and Sac State. They both are 4-8 and eight at the top of the conference in position to have bye games in the first round of the Big Sky Tournament in March. We have number one, Montana. They're 10, they are 10-2, and two, winners of seven consecutive games. Northern Colorado, who we play this Thursday, is 10-3. and three, half, They're a half game back. That's because Montana's played one fewer game. Northern Colorado has a two-game winning streak after losing to Montana State. Weber State is down to 9-4. and four. They lost to Southern Utah again, uh, although it sounds like there was either some illness or injury from Weber State players heading into that game, and a ton of key players missed practice, and they just played awful. We don't know if that means Southern Utah just has Weber State's number. We'll get into that in a second. Fourth place, we have Montana State at 8-5, and five, and holding on to the final buy, surprisingly, is Southern Utah. They have a half-game lead over Eastern Washington. Southern Utah, they are just a team of streaks. I wrote about that in my column for the Montana Mint. That's montana-mint.com. Check it out every two weeks. Southern Utah has played through streaks the entire year. They started off losing three, then they won around four, then they lost about, about three. Now they've won another three. They're seven and six. Eastern is a half game back, although hot take. Eastern is definitely a better team to me than Southern Utah. I expect the teams with buys when we end the season to be Montana, Northern Colorado, Weber State, Montana State, and Eastern Washington. But looking at the Vandals, it's getting ugly. Or it's not getting ugly, it is ugly. It's been ugly for a while. Idaho is 4-19 on the season, 1-11 in conference. We have two Division I wins total. One on the road at North Dakota. One at home against Eastern Washington. Our team has not won since that game at Eastern Washington on January 3rd. To make matters worse, we have not had a single-digit loss since January 5th at Northern Colorado. That's eight consecutive double-digit losses. We're at the point now, 4-19, that's 23 games into the season. That does not count the exhibition game. So, yeah, we our, our team's played 24 games. At this point, I believe it's fair to say we need to be able to, to have some evidence of growth. Now, other teams in conference, they grow as well. Idaho does not compete in a vacuum. But this late into the season, our freshmen, yeah, it's their first year. Our sophomores who didn't play much the year before, yeah, it's their first season getting extended minutes. But we're 24 games in. There's some kinks that we should expect to have worked out by now. And I'm just not seeing the progress. Right now, in conference, talking conference-only stats, Idaho is 11th. That's the last. There's 11 teams in the league total for basketball. 13 in football, Cal Poly and UC Davis are in their football. They're not for basketball. So 11 total teams in conference. We are 11th in scoring offense, averaging 65.2 points per game. Top of the league is Montana at 81 point, Montana State at 81.9 points per game. 
We are 11th in scoring defense at 79.2 points per game. That's how many points we allow per game. So we score on average 65 points. We give up on average 79. The best scoring defense in the league is Northern Colorado. They give up 66 points a game. Now let's just look at those two stats. Idaho doesn't need to be the best at either of those stats to be good. We could be great at defense and middling at offense. That's the Northern Colorado model. We could be great on offense and not particularly great defense. That's the Montana State model. It's closer to the Weber State model. Now, ideally, we can be Montana where we're just good at everything. But Idaho does not have to dominate both on offense and defense. What we need to do is either be relatively solid in both or we need to be strong, strong enough in one area to overcompensate for the other. There is a almost 17-point-per-game gap between our scoring offense and the Montana State scoring offense. That's per game. That's not comparing you know, peaks and valleys. That, that's a per-game average. We are 12 games into the season. We have adjusted for outliers by now. There is a 13-point-per-game gap between the amount of points we allow and the amount of points Dustin League Northern Colorado allows. And that's how you have a league-worst scoring margin of negative 14 points per game. That's the Idaho scoring margin. We lose by an average of 14 points per game. Best scoring margin in the league. In the league. Montana wins their games by an average of 12.8 points per game. That is a 27-point swing between us and Montana. Now, we do not need to be the best in the league in these stats to be respectable. In the season preview we did, I expected we would be closer to Southern, what Southern Utah's at this year or what Eastern Washington's at this year, where we struggle definitely against the top of the conference, but with some talent coming in, I expected we would definitely pick up some wins. Good Lord, was I wrong. 27-point gap in scoring margin between us and the top of the league. There's, it is so hard at this point to have any sort of nuance in my takes because we are just doing just about everything poorly. And you know, we'll go to some more stats. Look at the rebounding margin right now. We have a, we're worse than the conference in rebounding margin at negative 6.2. Pause for a second. I've gone through four key stats that we are league worst in all of those stats. That's worst in scoring offense, worst in scoring defense, worst in scoring margin, we are worst in rebounding margin. Mon By the way, Montana's best in rebounding margin at plus 5.1. So that's an 11 rebound gap or 11 possession, potentially 11 shot gap between how we re rebound and how Montana does. We don't need to be the best in the league. We just need to not be atrocious. And I am not done with important stats where we are league worst. We have the league worst turnover margin of negative 3.67. Montana leads the league with plus 3.17 turnover margin. If you factor in turnover margin and rebounding margin, Montana gets an average of almost 18 more possessions or 18 more chances for shots than we do per game. You just cannot forfeit that many potential possessions when your offense isn't scoring in the first place. Remember, league worth 65.2 points a game. You can't struggle that much. And that's, a common, that's an offensive and defensive combination. It is not our defense that is throwing passes away and turning the ball over and leading to easy points for the other team. That's our offense. Conversely, now rebounding is a combination of offense and defense, but a lot of that is our defense. We just can't be the worst at just about everything. And 
the way I, again, I talked about this last podcast. I'm going to talk about it again. We are 10th in the league in attendance, averaging 916 people per game. We should consider that last in league because Sac State's gym only holds 1,000 people. Our total home attendance the entire season, we've had 6,411 people show up to, in Moscow to watch basketball games. An average night for Weber State. Weber State has the best attendance in the conference because they have a pedigree. They have been good at basketball in conference for years. A down Weber State year is 500. We'd kill for a 500 year right now. I would love for this podcast's sake if we had a 500 year to go over. Weber State averages 6,675 people per home game. They average more people for every single game than we've had show up the entire season. Second team in attendance is Montana. They average 4,390 people. And in Missoula, again, they are curious in Missoula, why can't we get 6,000 people to games? Now, my hot take on that is Montana needs to win a couple games in the NCAA tournament. They need to be able to build continuity. It's kind of like at Gonzaga. Gonzaga didn't sell out games forever uh, in Spokane at the Kennel. Gonzaga had to build and be good for consecutive years. Now, Montana is entering year two of being very good. They made the NCAA tournament last year and were competitive against the University of Michigan. I expect them to make the NCAA tournament this year. They need to do that consistently. They've only made the NCAA tournament two years in a row, two times. That the first was with Larry Kristowiak, second was with and Larry Kristowiak, coach at the University of Utah right now. The second time is with Coach Wayne Tinkle. Wayne Tinkle coaches at Oregon State now. Uh, so they do need to have some continuity, I believe, if they're going to really build more enthusiasm for the program. But they already have a pretty strong level of enthusiasm. They average 4,390 people per game. We've had 6,411 people total. I still haven't talked about the actual games we played yet because I feel it's worth going over the context first. There's almost no stat to me that is more important than that attendance. We have that new gym coming in um, in a couple years or in a few years. The stated capacity for that appears to be somewhere between 3,700 and 4,200. The last thing I want to see as a Vandal alum and a Vandal fan is for us to have this beautiful new, new gym filled at less than... 15% capacity. And, you know, the Cowan holds 6,000. The Cowan's a little bit big for us, I think. And the Cowan's just a pretty crappy facility overall. Um, it's relative to the big sky. It's better compared to some of the other dome schools because at least we have the curtains partitioning the gym. But it's not a great facility. I, I really want to get excited about Vandal Athletics, but good Lord, are they making it hard on us right now. Uh, you know, if I didn't have separate obligations to, to write about big sky men's basketball, I probably would have bailed on the men's basketball team by now and started watching the women's team. In a lot of ways, I encourage people to do that. Now, I'm going to keep talking about it, and I have commented multiple times about how I just keep doing a bad job of selling why you should be listening to, to updates on such a bad men's basketball team. I mean, further context. Um, in the analytic rankings, Ken Palm has us, at, has us ranked as the 347th worst team in the nation. There's 353 total teams. NCAA Net has us at 337. RPI has us at 342. And Sports Reference, that's the site that I go to to get things like offensive rating, defensive rating, and pace statistics. Sports Reference has us at 343 out of 353. If we lived in a bizarre world where the NCAA tournament was actually designed to crown the best of the worst teams in the nation, 
so our the bottom 64 make the field and you know we still have it divided into fours where we have four one seeds four 16 seeds they play each other you guys all know how the ncaa tournament set up if we have that tournament where it's all the worst teams playing each other idaho would be somewhere between a 13 and a 15 seed that's how low we are against the worst in the nation we would be projected to lose quite soundly if we had this if we lived in this bizarre world where we played for the best of the worst it's tough and you know the best illustration i can think of is looking at the thursday game at montana we lost at montana 59 to 100. let that sink in for a second we almost lost by more points at montana than montana scored against us in moscow in football Montana killed us in football. I believe they scored 42 or 45. We lost by 41. We were down 59 to 25 at halftime. Now pause for a second before I get further in. You heard that right. We scored as many points in the whole game as Montana scored in the first half. Now your next question might be, hey, did they uh, slow it down a little bit in the second half or did they try to blow us out? No, Montana slowed it down. They, they benched a lot of their starters. But uh, first half stats. You know, we're down 34 at halftime. We have 13 first half turnovers. We allowed Montana to shoot 66% from the field, including 11 of 18 from three. Montana also had 17 assists. Now, part of that is Montana just played well. They are a good basketball team. There is reason to believe that Montana, if they get a 14 or 13 seed, they could pull off an upset. That team has good athletes. That team has a good coach who just picked up his 100th win against Eastern Washington. 100th career win at Montana. The win was against Eastern Washington. I wouldn't be bored if Travis DeCure is out of Montana next year. He's going to be a commodity. They're just a good team. They have good athletes. They have good players. They're well coached. And that's the opposite of us. You know, the team has 17 assists in, in one half. Now, part of that means they're just making shots. And you can't take that away from Montana and just write it off as our bad defense. They shot lights out against us. So Montana played the be- maybe the best they played the whole season. But good Lord. We did not look like we belonged on the floor against Montana. You know, on the game, 11 players scored for Montana. So, again, back to my question, hey, did Montana try to run up a score against us? Well, not really. They played bench players for most of the second half. 11 guys for their team scored. In post-game interviews, their guys were excited, jokingly disappointed about the one player who didn't get on the board. They were not saying that to gloat about beating Idaho. They were happy for the guys who don't get to play very much, that they got to get go on the floor and, and put up some stats. And they did against us. They absolutely walked, walked all over us. Uh, Saeed Pritchett from Montana scored 21 points on nine shots. Donovan Dorsey, he's a Pac-12 drop down from University of Washington. He scored 17 points off the bench on nine total shots. That's 38 points on 18 shots. I don't know if there's anything more to go over, but I don't want to skip over this game. For a lot of people, they'd say, well, your ugly game, you know, we can just burn that tape, kind of skip over that. No, no, there's a ton in this game that is worth spending a little bit of time talking about. You know, Montana scored 42 points in the paint. Second half, the most playing bench player. Montana has one post player who who can score a lot of points, Jamar Code. Jamar Code actually didn't do too much against Idaho. So those 42 points in the paint, that's penetration. That's slashing. That's, that's us just getting killed from the perimeter. Uh, yeah, Montana scored 42 points in the paint. We scored 14. We're a guard-oriented team. Scored 14 points in the paint. That tells you the level of success on penetration. And I've talked 
um, and I'll go over it again. Our offense, and this is a little bit more indicative at Montana State. You know, Don Verlin, uh, according to some some quotes that I read after the game, sounds pretty committed to an offensive system. So I, I guess if the question is, are we going to see this team adjust? No, we're not. This is who we are. We are going to clog the paint with non non scoring posts. So that's where we're at. I don't want to uh, go in depth on the the all vandals topic of hey, should Don Verlin be fired or did Don Verlin want to be here? I can't speculate on any of that. Um, I don't. I'm not an administrator. I don't have a background in educational leadership. I can't tell you what kind of questions actually go into relieving a coach after his best season. Also, our two key administrative positions: the president and athletic director. Um, we all know about the unclear status of how those are. So, in short, it's not worth talking about the firing question. But if the question is is part of the season on the coach failing the players. To me, absolutely. Yeah, jury's in. I, I don't know how many more games I can watch where we have a wing-heavy team. All our skilled players are on the wing. Uh, you know, Trayvon Allen's leading scorer. Gino, Gino West has played well off the bench. Cam Tyson is looking like a future All-Big Sky player. All those are guards. All those guys start on the wing. Jared Rodriguez looks like a double-double kind of player, potentially. He's a he has a both inside and outside game, but he's an outside to inside in terms of orientation and that he looks better off the dribble and shooting than he does in the post. That just tells you that this is a team that needs a spread out offense like Montana state and the jury's in, we're not going to get any big changes. This is where we're at. The season's likely going to continue to stay ugly. It stayed ugly through the Montana games. Although I am not done going over the details about how the Montana game is ugly. Montana had 23 assists. Idaho had 11. Now, 11 is around how many assists we average. So that's not that different. But the turnover margin. Montana turned the ball over eight times. Idaho turned the ball over 22 times, including 13 in the first half. Where else do we go from that? Yes, this is probably the single worst game in terms of we played the best team in the league on their best night, and maybe we had our worst night. But this team is not improving. This team is not hanging close with teams like we were earlier in the year. The double-digit loss streak extends to eight. Um, positive news that we had out of this game. Trayvon Allen scored 13 points, although he shot 5 of 12 from the field. He's really struggled from the field since the uh, first Montana game where he scored 24 points on 18 shots. Um, Cam Tyson scored 12 points, shot 4 of 10 from the field, 2 of 5 from threes. Um, and maybe the big shift, and we'll get into this in the second game too, Gino West off the bench scored 11, although it's fair to say a little bit of these stats are empty because this was a blowout for 75% of the game. We're down by over 30 at halftime. Game was over. Uh, but, you know, some big comparisons. Montana's top two, two scores score 38 points on 18 shots. That's 2.11 points per shot. That's, again, that's LeBron James level from LeBron James in the big sky. 38 points on 18 shots. They could have only shot twos and made 100% of their twos, and they would have averaged fewer points per shot. This is unbelievable levels of production we're allowing. I thought it couldn't get worse when we were talking about how it went from Northern Arizona. Northern Arizona had a couple players average. Their top two scores averaged about 1.42 points per shot. The likely MVP of our league averages 1.42 points per shot. Then against Southern Utah, we gave up 1.8 points per shot to their top three scores. We somehow found a way to do worse. Um, 38 points on 18 shots. Our top two scorers scored 25 points on 22 shots. That's 1.13 points per shot. That's indicative of strong defense. 
you know, again, an all, all league level player is going to average around that 1.4, 1.5 points per shot. So if a team can hold the top two scores in any given game to around 1.1 points per shot, that's just strong defense. It's hard to win if your top two scores score at that level. And it was hard for us to win. Our offensive rating was 85.5, another game well below, below 100. Our defensive rating, or the offensive rating Montana learned because they're the same stat, 144.9, that's our worst in the season. That might be the worst I see for the rest of my life. Now, the Saturday game in Bozeman, you know, I'm going to try to not, not be so negative, but uh, really, just based off the Montana game, I, I don't know what else there's supposed to be. We're 4-13. I, I don't want to be too hard on, on guys because they are young. Um, I, I'm going to get to some high points, and I'll, I've talked about high points, but we're not seeing the growth that we need to see out of this team that we should expect. And that, to me, you know, if you're a fan and you're, you're looking at a team that's playing like this, so, some of that has to fall on the coaches. Now, whether that's poor recruiting or you know, whether there's bad luck, and there was some bad luck, and Nate Sherwood couldn't play this year due to um, the, the diagnosis slash injury he had. ESPN's Tutel Nuanis out of Missoula reported that he may be back next year um, off a of medical hardship. We'll see. That'd be great news if Nate Sherwood's back. Uh, Markel Frazier should be back. He's down with a hip surgery. So the, those are two big contributors that would have radically reshaped our team. But Nate Sherwood hasn't played the whole year. And Markel Frazier played in one conference game. It's been a long time that we haven't had those guys. If we're going to see some growth, we should see it. We're, we're late enough in the year. Yeah, maybe we'll see it towards the end of the year. Maybe some shots will just fall and we'll mistake it for growth. But there's not much to be positive about. You know, in the Montana State game, we lost that 72 to 86. Now that's 14 points. It sounds better. Um, and it's better than just a 40-point loss. But, you know, Montana State led by as many as 22 points in the second half. We made some shots at the end to keep it close. But that actually was a problem with this game. You know, Montana State shot 54, 54% on the night, 60.8 in the second half total. So they're just making everything in the second half. Idaho didn't have a bad shooting night. Idaho shot 50.9% from the field and 50% from three. Let that sink in. We shot 50% from three. We're a guard-heavy team that shot 50% from three, and we lost by 14. If we're hitting shots at a 50% rate, those are the games we have to win. And we just purged points again. You know, And the stat of the game, Montana State points off turnovers. Montana State scores 21 points off Idaho turnovers. Idaho scores seven off Montana turnovers. 14-point game. 14-point margin there. That's 21 easy points for, we gave up to Montana. We only made seven of them back. Otherwise, just about every single stat in the game was close, except for the points off turnovers. They didn't kill us on rebounds. We didn't kill ourselves on turnovers like we did against Montana. We did let them make just about every single shot, but we shot pretty well with them. It's just the points off turnovers, again, killed us. You know, Montana State had an offensive rating of 126.5, or our defensive rating was 126.5. That means Montana State scored 1.26 points every single time they touched the ball, which circle back to Montana. Montana's University of Montana had an uh, offensive rating of 144 against us. That means every single possession, they averaged 1.44 points per game. That, that's flooring. A team could shoot a three every single time down the floor, make 50% of those, and average 1.5 points per possession. We almost let the statistical equivalent of that take place in Missoula. 
And in, in Bozeman, it was slightly better, but 126.5, 1.26 points per possession, that's awful. We squandered our fourth best Big Sky offensive game. We had an offensive rating of 105.9 in a pretty bad loss. Um, you know, for us in terms of stats, the big guy from Montana State was Harold Frey. Scored 17 points, had seven assists, and one turnover. They had, I believe, five guys in double figures. That's how you win that game. You know, for us, Cam Tyson led the way with 14 points, five of 10 from the field, four of eight from behind the arc. Another game for Cam Tyson, hitting four more threes. Trayvon Allen scored 12 points, but he had another rough shooting night, five of 14 from the field. Good news, he did pick up five assists, and that's the second time in three games that Allen's picked up five assists. That is a positive wrinkle for us to take away. He did have three turnovers, and likely some of those assists, I watched, I watched this game, some of those assists were just passing to guys who made open threes. Not every assist is, a, is the result of a guy making a play, but Trayvon Allen's accumulating assists. That was big news for us. I'm, I'm happy for him. If he's going to keep being our point guard, I think he should be our shooting guard. But if he's going to stay as our point guard, he's got to be able to contribute in ways other than just making shots because he he doesn't have a, an elite three-point shot. He doesn't get to the free-throw line with the way he plays. He takes a lot of tough shots. That's what happened against Montana State. He took a lot of tough shots. Now, part of that's our offense. I, you know, you watch that game. You see how many guys we keep inside the three-point line. Trayvon's got nowhere to go. Um, Xavier Smith still manages to get to the rim when he plays. I don't know how. Uh, with the level of obstacles we have. You know, when we have, it's a basic spacing question. When you have two offensive players inside around the key, there's two other defensive players. So if another player drives and his defensive player comes with him, that is six people in a tight space. There's just nowhere for the offensive player to go. The quarters are so close that a player, let's say Trayvon's driving in and he goes in towards Scott Blakeney in that direction because that's just where Scott happens to be. Scott Blakeney's man doesn't have to leave Scott to play Hell's defense when the quarters are that close. There's just truly nowhere to go, which is part of why it's so hard for Trayvon to get to the rim. I've talked about that, and part of, part of why I have, I have stressed with the number of contested mid-range shots he shoots, it is hard to project him to keep shooting 60%. He's not there. But not all that's his fault. Some of that's structural. You know, you watch the game, even if he gets first step, he has to just blow by his guy to get a, an in-stride layup. But again, Trayvon, 12 points. Five assists was a big deal. Jared Rodriguez scored 12 points, picked up eight rebounds. Gino West had his second consecutive double-figure game. He scored 11 points again off the bench. That is important for us. Uh, Gino West has had his playing time yanked around a little bit. Uh, and yanked around isn't necessarily a put-down towards the coach because, you know, especially earlier in the year, Gino West took a lot of pretty bad shots. Uh, in the last couple games, he stopped doing that. He's shooting catch-and-shoot threes. And he's mostly shooting shots when his drives allow him to shoot more layup shots. He's not shooting his runners from the from outside the key where there's just no prayer. Those are going in. He's not shooting, you know, contested floaters the way he had been. That's a positive wrinkle for Geno Smith. Or Geno West, not Geno Smith. Geno Smith's former quarterback. Good thing for Geno West to be contributing that way. Um, he was a guy who, this is just pure speculation, based off how his minutes had moved around, I was truly curious whether we'd see him back next year. Now, that's not to say I have any intelligence that he won't be back. I don't. So until further notice, I expect he will be back next year. But the way he'd been up and down, teams do have roster turnover. Bad teams like us, we're a bad team. Even our underclassmen, who we, we might round out and say, well, we played poorly because underclassmen played. Bad teams have roster turnover. Those scholarships are not four-year contracts. 
in most cases, those are year by year situations. Now, it's not normal for a player to be recruited out of scholarship as a freshman and then lose it by his during his sophomore and junior year. But if we're a team that's this bad, there's a lot of players who I wouldn't be floored if we see a red shirt next year or if we see a few players leave. Especially if we decide we're gonna bring in some transfer players. You know, this is this is the reality of how some programs work. You know, I, I read a book by a former New Mexico State coach and New Mexico State, they run a different style of program where they recruit junior college heavy. They recruit about nine new junior college players every year, and they know that the next year, about four or five of them will not remain on the roster. Um, not saying Don Verlin did that, but it's a reality of bad teams. There's roster turnover. The roster from our last year with Coach Pfeiffer before we had Coach Verlin, there's a ton of roster turnover. You know, that, that's on the table. We're gonna, that's one of the things I'm curious about when fall ball starts starts again next year. Uh, but, you know, positive news for Gino West. He's back in the rotation. And he's had back-to-back double-figure games. That, that's positive news. You know, some overall trends we're looking at. Downside is Trayvon Allen, since that Montana game, the one in Moscow where he scored 24 points, he's shooting 22-71. That's 30.9% from the field. That's the reason that I spent so much time on this podcast talking about why mid-range game is considered, mid-range basketball is considered unreliable now. It's not considered... Um, as in vogue as it once was. It's not as popular as it once was. It, it can be a beautiful game because a mid-range score like Trayvon, he can pull up and potentially score from anywhere. And it's fun to watch a guy like that. You get some highlights from players like that. But a ton of those shots are contested. Now, some of that's structural because if you look at our offense, which to me, with our lineup, is ju- it's just indefensible that we run such a uh, – we run such poor spacing so much. We run so few – let's say high post sets like, and again, this is not rocket science. Don Verlin makes more than a hundred thousand dollars a year. I believe his contracts over 200,000 a year. He can afford NBA league pass, watch Golden State for like five minutes. Yeah. Golden State has all, all level NBA historically good shooters, but it's not like those guys just walking up and jacking up contested threes. Those guys are getting open looks that Steve Kerr runs a lot of different actions to get those elite players, open shots because the other team knows they are elite shooters. So they can't just walk up and jack up contested threes and do well. We could run a lot more high post sets where we have guys like Cameron Tyson and Trayvon Allen running off of screens, getting handoffs, running elevator sets. We used to do that with Victor Sanders. An elevator set, that is, that is a play where, again, this is weird to go over verbally, but there is a, a player that the play is designed for to get an open three. He will, he will cut usually from around the baseline up to either the one of the wings or the top of the key. An elevator screen is when two players, usually two posts, right after, right as that player, the, the play is designed to get him a shot, as that guy runs to his designated spot, usually a three-pointer. Those two post players slam their shoulders together, mimicking elevator door shutting. It's an extremely hard set to plan for it is it is used at the college level it's used the nba level that's how reliable stuff like that are don verlin used to do that stuff for vic sanders we've seen that in idaho i don't know what's going on right now but we are not not just not being creative and getting our wings threes we are not being creative and getting trayvon open looks we are not being creative enough in getting cam tyson open looks and that is how you have one in 11 in league four and 13 on the season now, do I believe there's reason to be optimistic? Yeah, maybe. 
you know, I'm starting to waver a little bit. I'm, there is true talent on this team. Trayvon Allen is a strong scorer. Now, if we're going to be good next year, if things go well for us, he probably needs to be our second or third leading scorer, certainly not our first, based off the offense we've seen us run. But you know, Trayvon Allen's a strong player. He's a strong guard. He does, there are a lot of things on the basketball floor he does well. There are a lot of big sky teams who Trayvon Allen would start for. There are some good big sky teams that Trayvon Allen would start for, or if he didn't start, he'd be a first guard off the bench. He, he's a good player. There's some obvious skill. That, that was a good recruit when we got him out of Clarkston. We should be happy he's there. I think he's being misused. Cam Tyson's a good player. Cam Tyson's an elite shooter. He's made four more threes, I believe, eight times this year. That's a ton. He's a freshman. He has no off-the-dribble game almost, and he's still producing like that. If this guy if this guy develops any off-the-dribble game, we're talking about a 20-point-a-game score if he's got space to work. Jared Rodriguez, as a redshirt freshman, often having to guard guys who are, are a little bit stronger or a little bit faster because he's a little bit of a tweener, now as he gets better, he's going to be that matchup where he's a little bit stronger than the guys guarding him or he's a little bit faster than the guys guarding him. He has that in him. But even in that, he's still averaging in big sky play 10.4 points a game, 6.8 rebounds. You know, big sky comments play. Cam Tyson's averaging 13.5 points a game, shooting 40% from three on 7.4 three attempts per game. Trayvon, even with this long stretch of real bad shooting on his part, He's still shooting 44.6% in big sky play. You know, we have some, we have some building blocks. You know, Xavier Smith, to me, I don't know why that guy is not getting extended run. It's not like we're going to do worse than losing by 41 to Montana. We have some building blocks in place, but we, I don't know why we're not using them, but we're not. Um, you know, it's frustrating as a fan. You know, we have to hope that Jack Wilson, the transfer from Morgan State, four-star recruit, we've got to hope he's great. We have to hope that the news or the potential rumor that was reported on the two tell Nuanas show in Missoula that Nate Sherwood could be back next year. Um, we got to hope that that's true and that we can get, you know, 30 points a game or so out of those posts because we're getting 10 out of our starting centers right now, but we are, we are treating them as though there's some world where we could get 30 out, out of post production, you know, post shot, post shots are not good if the player taking them is not an elite athlete or a real strong scorer or just way bigger than the player who's guarding him. There's an old adage in basketball that it is just, it is just maddening to hear. It's one of the dumbest things you can hear in basketball, which is you'll hear announcers, you'll coaches say, you know, you live by the three, you die by the three, which the correct interpretation of that is, yes, there's variance night to night shooting three-point shots, correct. It's not like there isn't variance in every other shot in basketball. You know, if, if Idaho gave Cash Smith, Francisco, and Scott Blakeney 40 shots a night, it's not like we'd be scoring 80 points off those guys. We'd be getting diminishing returns quickly because this isn't a put down to those players. They do other things well. They, re they rebound at times well. They play defense at times well. They hustle well. They do a lot of the less glamorous stuff that you need to happen on a strong team. Those guys are willing to do it. So it's not like their, their game doesn't have strength. It absolutely does. But if if we are giving those guys shots when they are not scorers, well, hey, the same live, live by three, die by a three concept. You take bad post shots, you're going to miss bad post shots. We don't have guys who can get great production there, but we clog the lane with these non-scoring threats all the time, and I just don't see it changing. And you're hearing frustration. 
I think Vandal fans should be frustrated because really the tea leaves from what we're hearing from Coach Verlin, what we're seeing on the floor is that not a huge amount is going to change. You know, as we, we transition into talking about our upcoming games this week, Thursday, Valentine's Day, February 14th in Moscow against Northern Colorado. They're the second best team in the league. We play that game at 7 p.m. in the count spectrum. And then we play Eastern Washington. They're 6-6 six and six in the league. That game's Monday, February 18th in Cheney. It's at 4 p.m. We have a holiday. Um, I believe it's President's Day. Forgive me if I, if I get the, hol- the February holiday wrong. Uh, but February 18th, it's a Monday. That's a day off school. That's why that game is at 4 p.m. in Cheney on a Monday. We, we got to hope that we see some shifts coming into those games. And, you know, I, I haven't seen it in our game so far. But, you know, we're going to look at Northern Colorado first. They, they could be a better matchup for us, and certainly than Montana. So, so what do we get when we play Northern Colorado? You know, Northern Colorado has an overall profile, though their record is miles ahead of us. Northern Colorado has an overall offensive and defensive profile that is much more friendly to us than, let's say, University of Montana. In the macro level, Northern Colorado has the best scoring defense in the entire conference. Now, that lines up with Montana, and that is absolutely not promising. Uh, but Northern Colorado is not an elite offensive team. They, they play slower pace, which they play a pace similar to us. They average 71.7 points per game, and they give up an average of 66.3 points per game. They have the fourth best scoring margin in the league. There's three teams clustered. With uh, Weaver State has a scoring margin of plus 6.7. Montana State is plus 6.3. And then Northern Colorado is plus 5.4. So that's, that's kind of the second tier of the league with Montana as the lone first tier in the league. Um, there's a chance that Northern Colorado is going to be a better better matchup for us in terms of better teams in the league, really just based off of stylistic play. Now the downside of Northern Colorado is they've got probably the MVP of the league in Jordan Davis. He's a senior in conference. He averages 23.8 points a game. He's kind of like the big sky Russell Westbrook. He's not flying around and dunking, but he's flying around. He gets to the rim all the time. Now, some sometimes that's just be, beating his guy. Sometimes, and this is what when you read the frustration in my tone from the last, you know, last section where I'm going over our losses to Montana. When I'm talking about, hey, we have these guards and we're not setting them up to succeed. Northern Colorado sets up Jordan Davis to succeed. They they run plays to to make his penetration effortless. He he does not just burn his guys. He runs his he runs his defender off multiple screens. There are, there are multiple plays set up to get him open shots. Jordan Davis, like I said, 23.8 points a game, 4.3 rebounds, 4.9 assists per game, shoots 49.5% from the field, and 37.7% from three. He's the guy. It's a huge drop-off after Jordan Davis. You know, for a while, you know, probably first four games, UNC looked like they probably had the freshman of the year in Bodie Hume. Six-foot-six guard catch-and-shoot kind of player. He was averaging 17 points a game earlier. He's averaging – it's down to 11.6 now. Um, he's shooting 35.5% from three on 5.8 attempts per game. Most of the shots are catch-and-shoot. Now he does contribute in, in rebounding, and then he gets 4.4 rebounds per game. But after that, it's a big offensive drop-off uh, for Northern Colorado. They have multiple guys shooting – 
below 40 percent uh some uh, at least one guy below 30 percent from the field i'm talking about guys who regularly play uh you know jonah radabaugh he's a starter for him he averages 9.3 points per game he's a former defensive player of the year he shoots 35 percent from the field takes eight shots a game that's great news for us that's part of why i say these guys match up better with us their third best scorer shoots 35 percent from the field and gets he, he does he shoots at volume this is not an explosive offense. This is not a team that's going to score 100 points against us. That is just not in the tea leaves. Now, they could, they definitely have the ability to suffocate us on the offensive end. You know, this is the best scoring defensive team in the league. And, you know, Idaho has shown the ability to not show up on offense. Idaho has not scored more than 70 we scored more. We scored 72 against Montana State. That was the first time we'd scored more than 70 since January 5th against Northern Colorado. Um, I didn't. That's sorry, not true. Since Northern Colorado, we have a total of three games scoring 70 or more points. We had 72 against Montana State, 73 in the loss to Northern Arizona, and 79 that overtime loss at Northern Colorado. Sandwiched in between those games. We have 59 against Montana, 53 against Portland State, 48 against Sacramento State, and then 51 against Montana at home. Like, I know we've talked about that game being closer because it was for three quarters. That's a lot of bad offense from the from Idaho. Now, that, that's the downside of how we match up against Northern Colorado. Now, for us to do well, the important thing for us is we, we need to make Jordan Davis work for his shots. You know, he shoots 17 points a game, averages just under 24 He's averages about 1.4 shots per game, 1.4 points per shot. We need his total points to be much closer to his total field goal attempt. For example, if we can limit him to 22 points, but he had to, to shoot it 20 times to get there, Idaho's okay, even if he scores 22 points. Because Jordan Davis, is, he's a good player. There's a reason I believe he should be the presumptive MVP. He is going to get his points. The bigger deal is making sure he does not have help. Northern Colorado has shown in the games they've lost. They've only they've only lost to Montana State, that was the most recent, and they lost to Montana and Weaver State. They've only lost to teams that look like making it to the Final Four in our conference tournament is a real question. So the downside of Northern Colorado, they have a real high floor. They do not have a single bad loss this year. And a lot of that is because they hang their hat on their defense. They keep teams from scoring. But they struggle at the offensive end. That was part of why we were able to hang in with them in Greeley. And I think there's a chance we can do it again. You know, the Greeley game was one of Jared Rodriguez's best games. Part of it is because Northern Colorado has some stronger guard defenders. But this is an example where Jared Rodriguez is just a matchup problem. Uh, Bodie Hume's a guy who can spend some time on Jared Rodriguez, and Jared Rodriguez is just too strong an offensive player for Bodie Hume. Jonah Radabaugh is a guy who will likely be put on Trayvon Allen, and he will likely be tasked to making Trayvon Allen's night tough. Um, the big news for us, you know, part of what has been hard about going over this podcast just recently is our offensive and defense have been so bad that I hardly even know how how to be interesting or sophisticated about what we need to do you know this isn't if i was previewing montana state and montana i could talk about the style of play that is likely going to happen how for montana state to win they need to make this a game where both teams are scoring around 80 
because Montana's going to stay tough with Montana State. They need Tyler Hall to make shots, but they also need Harold Frey to be penetrating and getting guys open shots. And, you know, guys like Kelton Blevins have to make those open shots. I could go into a little bit more detail. Idaho has just been putrid on the offensive and defensive end, and it's real hard to go over, you know, some real specific things about what we can do better when we have been doing so many things poorly. You know, some keys are we need to not surrender a ton of points off of turnovers that we do not nullify by forcing teams into turnovers when we're on defense. You know, so the key against for us against Northern Colorado is really Jordan Davis needs to have to work for his points. He needs to have an unefficient night from the field. And we need to do our best for when we collapse, because people will collapse on Jordan Davis. We need to make sure that when he makes good passes, because he does make good passes, he's a strong point guard, maybe the best. It's hard to say he's the best point guard in the league, and he's certainly one of the top two. We need to make, we need to try to, to make it so that he is having to rely on unreliable shooters like, for example, Trent Harris, who plays 17 minutes a game for UNC. He's a guard. He shoots 29% from the field. Jonah Radabaugh plays 37 minutes a game. He's out there almost the entire game. He plays more per game than the likely league MVP. He shoots 35% from the field on eight attempts per game. Sam Mastin shoots 38% from the field, plays 20 minutes per game. And Bodie Hume has struggled as of late. His field goal percentage is down to... 41.8, which for a sharpshooter is not great. That, that's what he hangs his hat on. That's what got him the scholarships. He's a strong scorer. We need to make sure that Jordan Davis doesn't get easy looks, doesn't get all the way to the rim. We need to do our best to have our two centers avoid foul trouble, which the good news is Northern Colorado doesn't have a strong post scorer, although that has not stopped our post from sometimes getting foul trouble. Um, we need to make sure that we are contesting his shots at the rim likely either forcing him to pass so he doesn't get to the rim or get it, have him take contested shots. When he's, when he's taking, when Jordan Davis is taking in-stride layups, Northern Colorado is tough to beat. That's why they have only three league losses. Uh, now, to me, they are no question not in the top tier with Montana because they do not have the supporting cast Montana has where Montana has four or five guys who can beat you. Northern Colorado's got one, maybe two. But they don't have a bad loss this year. They're, they're a strong team. It's going to be tough. That's our Thursday game. That's in Moscow. Now, our second game, that's Monday in Cheney at 4 p.m. Eastern has followed much more of the track than I think Vandal fans, including myself, expected us to follow. You know, Weber State started out the conference season 1-3. and three. They lost to Weber, which just about everyone does. They beat Idaho State, they lost to us, they lost to Northern Colorado. Now, one, that is a relatively tough start. But after that one and three start, they had the Montana schools. Part of why Eastern struggled is, one, their top returning scorer, Mason Peatling, had to, he missed almost all of their non-conference schedule. He played in one non-conference game, so the team had to adjust to him coming back, and he had to get healthy. But two, they had role players from the season before where Eastern lost in the conference championship game in Montana, they had role players who it took time for them to adjust. Now they didn't have the luxury of an easy non-conference schedule. They had a real hard non-conference schedule, played four or five power conference teams. Uh, they, they looked bad in non-conference, but when they got into the conference season, it took them a little bit of time to adjust. And since starting out one and three, Eastern's five, Eastern's five and three. They just, they just lost 
a one-point game at Montana. The same Montana that beat us by 41, Eastern lost to by one. And kind of the story of Eastern Washington this year has been, in the beginning, it was it was their junior post, Mason Peatling, who was doing essentially everything, getting no help. In one of my columns, I cited that as a team, other than Peatling four games in the conference season, the entire team was shooting 36%. And it's just tough to win when no one's making shots. Since then, Eastern has established their offensive identity. Though they have two pretty good posts, they are they spread the ball and they attack the basket. And the single player who's shown the most growth, maybe in the entire conference this year, is their sophomore guard, J Jacob Davison, who is now their leading scorer. Averages 19 points a game. He scored 41 a couple nights ago. I believe it was against it was either against Montana State or Northern Colorado. It was one of those one of those games. Jacob Davison went for 41 points, which is incredible. But on the season, he's averaging 19. It's not like Davison only had 19. I mean, only scored 41, and that's why his stats are. That's why why his box score stats look as good as they do. Dave, sorry, the game was against Northern Arizona where he scored 41, but. Davison has scored 19 or more points in every game since January 19th against Montana State. His last rough outing at all was scoring 11 points against Montana. And that was kind of where he turned a corner. You know, against us, Davison had a real rough game first time through. Shot 3 of 13. And by the way, we beat Eastern first time we played. The story of that game was we got up by about 20 in the second half, hit everything, shot over 50% from the field. Eastern clawed their way back. If you, not that I recommend doing this, but if you listen to old podcasts, I said, I think Shantae Leggins, their coach, he looks at that tape against Idaho. He doesn't change anything offensively. Eastern got the shots they wanted. They just didn't fall. He will would probably be more concerned about the defensive effort in the first half. But really, since the Montana game, when um, Jacob Davidson scored 11, he's turned a corner. Hasn't scored less than 19 since that game. And Eastern has been overall on a roll. They, they look like they're going to play themselves into potentially a bye after starting out one and three. Now they're six and six in conference after dropping two in a row to Montana State and Montana. But those were close games. They, they led Montana State late. And then Montana State scored, went on a 9-0 run to end that game, won the, won the game by eight points. They stayed in the game against Montana. They lost by one point. They had a game-winning shot attempt by Davison rim out. So Eastern's good. Even at 6-6 six and six with those two losses, those are not bad losses. They went into the Montana schools and showed that they can compete with anyone in the league. And that is the kind of improvement that I think Vandal fans thought we were going to see. Not that we'd be up at maybe Eastern's level, because Eastern is playing a mix of relative to what we have. They're playing some upperclassmen for sure. But the Eastern team right now, is just miles ahead of the Eastern team from earlier in the year. Of the two games, I think even though Northern Colorado has a better record, I think that's the best matchup for us. Uh, Eastern's got two posts, Mason Peatling and Jesse Hunt. By the way, Jesse Hunt can also shoot threes. It's not like their posts are, let's say, the Idaho version of posts where really they need to get opportunistic points or they're not going to score. You know, Eastern, Eastern has uh, Peatling averaging 16 points a game. Jesse Hunt, another post, he averages 12 points a game and also shoots 48% from behind the arc. They have a point guard, Tyler Kidd, who he didn't start at the beginning of the year. He's kind of emerged. He's not a great shooter, 39% from the field overall. 
but he's a strong distributor for four assists per game averages 11 as well you know this eastern team is a team on the rise um, and for us to do well against them one again it's actually similar to the formula against northern colorado we need their leading scorer jacob davison we he has to be an inefficient scorer he averages 19 points on 14.7 shots per game we need if he's going to score 19 we need him to take 18 19 attempts to get there otherwise it's going to be tough we we need to make sure same thing mason peatling one of the better posts in the league 16 points seven seven and a half rebounds per game he can't be putting up double doubles against us uh shooting over 50 percent shoots 58 percent the field overall our posts jared rodriguez might spend some time on peatling he's jared rodriguez can spend some time on J mason peatling or Jace, jesse hunt one of the two there's no way around it we're gonna need a big night out of out of him defensively and we're gonna need a combination of you know i've talked about how the idaho offensive uh you know box scores or stat line is it's rough right now you know if you look at conference stats which i think is, are the ones we should care about We've got Trayvon at 14.4 game, Cameron Tyson at 13.5, Jared Rodriguez at 10.4. It's a huge drop-off after that. We have Blakeney at 5.7, Gino West at 5.4. No one else averages more than five points a game, and only three people average more than six per game. Now, you compare that to Eastern Washington. Eastern Washington has four players averaging double figures at 19. Like I said, Davidson's at 19, Peatling at 16, Hunt. Jesse Hunt at 12, their point guard Tyler Kidd at 11. Their fifth leading scorer averages 6.2 points per game. That's a team that has an identity. That's a team that they know who they can rely on. Now you look at Idaho, that's that's just not where we're at. You know, we, we again, Trayvon's on that rough shooting streak where he's shooting about 30% since that first Montana game, and this is not fair to him. Um, so I, I really hope this, isn't, this doesn't sound like being harsh on him. Um, I think he's in a tough situation. I think the offense does not give him good looks. I think he still gets makeable shots. And ge generating makeable shots is a skill. You know, that, that might sound like it's backhanded, but it is not. Not every player with no breathing room, like Trayvon Allen gets because of how we clog the paint. He still gets 13 shots up a game. I'd say 11 and a half of those attempts are makeable attempts. You know, sometimes they're just rough against the shot clock. But he's doing a... He's doing about as well as he can um, in terms of getting shots up. It's the system to me that is the problem. Um, and he's in a situation where he can't have an off night. Cam Tyson's averaging 13.5 points per game. He can't have an off night. Now, an odd thing for me, Tyson's averaging 13.5 points per game on 24 minutes. Now, I don't know if that's a defensive issue, um, if that's why he's getting pulled. Because he has that issue at times with making bad passes. Um, he does get burned on defense sometimes. All of our guys get burned on defense sometimes. Um, but that, that's an odd stat to look at. You know, Rayquanis Mitchell is another one of our starters. He averages 21.6 minutes in conference. He averages 3.9 points a game. I, I just that's one of the lineup decisions I just don't understand. Um, that's when, when I when I go back to my pet project of hey why the why isn't Geno West uh, sorry not Geno West why isn't Xavier Smith playing more the, the the guy plays 13 minutes a game and averages two assists a game. What else is he supposed to do? That's uh, if you extrapolate that 30 minutes, that's le leading the league in assists. Uh, but yeah, that's my pet project. I can get off that. Circling back to the game, um, what does Idaho have to do to win the game? We've got to not allow the top three scorers to just kill us like they have in the last four games or so. Especially Montana, 2.11 points per shot. And we one we need big we need strong nights from our top three: Trayvon, Cameron Tyson, Jared Rodriguez. 
And we have to get something out of guys four through seven. We have to get Scott Blakeney, who's playing 20 minutes a game, scoring five points. We, we've got to get production out of him. Geno West, um, his minutes have been up and down. But, you know, if we can get Geno West to score 11 against Montana and Montana State, hey, that, that's big for us. Maybe, maybe we can stay in the game if we get production like that. Geno West has scored double digits more than four or five times this season. He's a guy who can produce when he's taking good shots, when he looks confident. Rick Juanis Mitchell, um, he, he's, a, he's a shooter, and he struggled as a freshman with shooting. Um, he's had a couple games where he's made some shots. The, the big games where he scored, he made four threes. First time we played Montana State, I believe he made three threes. Second time we played Montana State, maybe he's playing Montana State every game. He's a guy who maybe we got to get production out of, but you know, to put a button on this, the formula for us, because how bad we've been on offense, how bad we've been on defense, is simple. We we have to have ways to score. We can't we can't have just a league worst offense and a league worst defense. That that's how you average a blowout. Um, I'm concerned about the offensive system and and Verlin being willing to shift because we're late in the season. I don't see him shift. Um, so I, I don't mean to sound negative, but you know, part of why I'm negative is I I, I truly think that on the offensive end a lot of our best players are not put in a good possession, a p- good position to do well. That is my frustration. Um, that is my hot take. That is my, hey, if I could change one thing about how the season has gone, not a ton I'd change, but strategically, it'd be offensive. We, we should, I feel we should spread the floor. Maybe it'll happen. I don't know. Or maybe we just need Jack Wilson to be Big Sky Player of the Year next year. But anyway, those two games, Thursday in Moscow, 7 o'clock versus Northern Colorado, Monday in Cheney versus Eastern Washington. I want to thank everyone for downloading the podcast. Thank you for being a regular listener. Thank you for anyone who shares the Twitter link, if you share the link on Facebook. That's a big deal for us, getting as many vandals to know about us as possible. We haven't had what you'd call a paid ad campaign at this point. Um, so really, we rely on word of mouth. So the more people who share, the bigger deal it is for us. So for everyone who downloads, thank you. For everyone who shares our links, thank you. Make sure to follow follow Chris or Chris mainly manages the Tubbs at the club account, but there, there are other people who use that too, but you can follow the, follow us at Tubbs at the club on Twitter. you can follow me at Brian Marceau on Twitter this coming Thursday, which will be when the next podcast comes out, will be the next installment of my big sky coverage of the Mont- at the Montana Mint. So if you want to read up on some of the teams, go there. If you want to check out a further st- statistical breakdown of the team, you can go to montana-mint.com. Just read the sections that I wrote on Eastern Washington and Northern Colorado. But again, thanks for listening. For those who've been able to hang in with us, thanks for doing so. It's been a rough season. We're, we're not that far away. on the eight years left. And as always, go Vince.